congratulations to all of our Cub fans here today. You know, they always said when pigs fly, the Cubs will go to the World Series, so watch out when you go outside. Um, congratulations to you. Well, welcome to Crossing. Glad that you are with us today. Today was a special day because we had our first preview service for our Southeast campus here um, at the venue. And we had that last hour in it and had a ton of people who are um, going to be part of that. It's going to officially start in February, but we're beginning to put the teams together. And so just a huge highlight for us at the crossing. And another highlight is last Sunday, we ended the service with baptisms. And we had 110 people who were baptized last Sunday as part of all the services. So cool. Every age, every background. We had families getting baptized. We had people who were not believers when they walked in the service, that they were atheists, they surrendered their life to Christ, were baptized. And if you have never been baptized, if you surrendered your life to Christ and you've never been baptized, baptism is your next step. And we want to help you as you're taking your next steps with Christ. Well, if you grew up in church like I did, then you might remember Sunday night church. Now, Sunday night church, when you grew up, it's, it's different than the way we do it here at the Crossing. At the Crossing, we have a 6 o'clock service that's identical to all of our morning services. But when I was growing up, it was a separate service. And it was kind of like the leftovers of Sunday morning. You know, the choir would get up and they would do the same song they did on Sunday morning. Or worse, there would be somebody who couldn't really sing, but they were allowed to sing on Sunday night. The pastor would let other people speak, so the missionaries who were traveling through would speak, or we would have, you know, student ministry Sundays. I actually did my first message when I was 15 years old at a Sunday night service. But the reason that, that I like to go into Sunday night church is because afterwards, I would be able to go out for pizza with all of the youth group, with all my friends. So we would beg our parents for five bucks, and we went to Godfather's Pizza in Wichita, Kansas. And so as a high school kid... I would put up with a really bad church service because I got to be with my friends afterwards. And I think it's true with all of us that some of our best memories revolve around relationships. They revolve around these friendships that we have. When I was a student ministry pastor, I used to tell our junior high and high school students that your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. And the same is true for you and me. That the people that you have in your life will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Here's how Solomon says this in Proverbs 13. He says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That he who walks with the wise, when you put certain people into your life, that their wisdom rubs off on you. That the direction of their life begins to transform your life because God uses people to transform us. But the opposite is true as well, that some of our biggest regrets revolve around a relationship. It's that spring break that you wish you wouldn't have gone to. It was that party. It was that text message that you returned that you shouldn't have returned. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that it's not just the fool who suffers harm for his decisions. It's the companion of fools who suffers harm. Well, we're in the middle of this series called Transform, and transformation is about surrendering to God's work in your life. And in this series, we're looking at seven key areas of transformation, that as we begin to transform these different areas of our life, that we take this huge step as God works in us. We've looked at your spiritual health, so we start out in that first week. We looked at your physical health, your mental health. 
Last week we talked about your emotional health, and today we're talking about relational health. And so as I was thinking about this message this week, I began to put a list together of famous friends. I was brainstorming these, and I thought you could help me out with some of these. I think the best friends, the famous friends of all time, my favorites are Buzz and Woody, that those are great friends. If you are a Lord of the Rings fan, Frodo had who? Sam. Fred Flintstone had? Dora had boots. For some of you young moms, you know that one out there. Well, Batman had Robin. The Lone Ranger had Tonto. Laverne had Shirley. If you are a millennial or a Gen Xer, you know that Zach had Screech, so these Saved by the Bell fans out there, I hear a few of you. Um, Michael Jordan had Scottie Pippen. Uh, Joe Montana had Jerry Rice. Even in the Bible, the heroes of the Bible had people who were beside them. David had Jonathan. Elijah had Elisha. Joshua had Caleb. Paul had Barnabas. And Solomon had who? Exactly. He had nobody that he allowed to walk beside him. See, Solomon was known for his wisdom. Kings and queens would travel from all over the world to come to Solomon to get his wisdom, to get advice on things that they were going through. In some cases, people would stay for days or even months so they could hear the wisdom of Solomon. And he wrote more about seeking counsel and wisdom than any other writer in the Bible. But Solomon didn't take his own advice. Despite the fact that he was surrounded by hundreds of people, despite the fact that he had thousands of people who wanted his attention, he was the poster child for loneliness and boredom. And he wrecked his life because he chose to do it alone. So here's the danger for you and me. That you might be smart You might be really successful in whatever you do. You might have money and resources. But if you don't have people who will speak truth into your life, that you are capable of making decisions that will not only wreck your life, but wreck the life of everyone around you. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to look at a story of Solomon to help us learn some lessons about transforming our relationships. Let me give you a little bit of background about what's happening here because the wisdom of the day said that the way that you you keep peace between countries is that you marry the daughters of the kings of the surrounding nations. And this made perfect sense. Egypt was a bitter enemy of Israel. But Solomon had the opportunity to make a strategic alliance with Egypt. He had the opportunity to marry Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, and it made perfect sense. It would not only bring peace and save thousands of lives, but it would align Israel with Egypt economically, politically, and strategically. The only problem was God. Way before Solomon ever came along, God gave Israel certain laws and certain commandments that he wanted them to obey. And one law God gave him says, I don't want you to marry foreign women. And God said that if you choose to marry foreign women, that they're going to bring their gods into your culture and into your home. And their gods and their religious practices will turn your hearts away from God. Well, Solomon thought, well, I'm so smart. 
You know, I, I know that that's an ancient law and I'm a modern king. And I know what God's word says, but, you know, I'm just so wise. I can kind of control the outcomes. That it doesn't matter who's around me, you know, I can kind of handle all of this. And there was no one who would speak wisdom into his life. We're going to start off in verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 11. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts against their gods. Nevertheless, see, he thinks he's the exception. He thinks that that it doesn't matter for him. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. I mean, this is worse than sister wives. 700 wives. This represents 700 mother-in-laws, which makes you think, now what was he thinking? But 700 wives represents 700 compromises. 700 compromises that were him saying, surely I can manage these relationships. I can manage the outcomes of all of these, that I'm not going to let these women turn my heart away from God. Verse 4, it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. See, as Solomon grows older, his resistance just wears down. And he becomes increasingly vulnerable. See, here's a huge lesson for all of us as we're getting older. See, when you're younger, you know, it's like I can take the hill. We feel like we can conquer the world. We can change the world. But after a while, you just get tired. And if you have the wrong people around you, it's going to take you to a place that you never intended to go. Verse 5, he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. Look at this. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. This god, Moloch, that this was a detestable god because this god, people would bring their children and they would sacrifice their children to this god, Moloch. And Solomon sets this up in Israel. See, not only did did Solomon allow his wives to turn his heart away from God, he completely goes off the rails and he begins to set up places of worship for these these false idols, and these false religions. Verse 9 says, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and will give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. And this is exactly what happens. 
Because of David, God waited until Solomon was dead, and God rips the kingdom out of his son's hands. And as a result of Solomon's decisions, the kingdom of Israel is divided, and it would never be the same again. In fact, tens of thousands of Jewish men lost their lives in war. And because the nation was weakened, because it was divided, they were invaded and conquered by both sides, by these surrounding nations. And tens of thousands of more Jewish soldiers died in battle. And Solomon, who thought, well, I'm so smart. I'm so above this. I can break God's commands. His legacy is that he trusted in his own understanding. And he isolated himself. And he paid a huge price. There's two huge lessons that we can learn from this passage. The first is this, is that the relationships that you allow in your life will determine the direction of your life. Solomon had 700 wives that led his heart away from God. That the relationships that you have in your life, they will determine the direction of where your life is heading. And I want to speak to parents here for just a second. Because if you're a parent, this should be a warning sign to you that those who influence your kids, those who are in their life, will determine the direction of their life. And so for parents, here's the big question for you. Who is influencing your children right now? You need to be the parent. Show me their friends and I'll show you their future. You show me who they're hanging out with and I'll tell you where it's going to lead in their life. See, For us, it's the reason why at the crossing that we invest so heavily in student ministry and children's ministry is that we just know is that if there are godly adults who are speaking into your kids and other students who are trying to honor God, it will make all the difference in the world. So who is in your life? Who are you allowing to speak truth into you? Here's the second application. See, when you look at Solomon's life, it's not just who he let into his life. It's also who wasn't in his life. Solomon was so wealthy and powerful that he had become completely isolated and inaccessible. See, everyone around Solomon, they were on his payroll. They got a paycheck from Solomon. And so no one had true access to him. There was no one who could say, Solomon, this is not a good idea. This is a bad road. This goes against God's commands. This isn't wise because he is completely isolated and inaccessible from everyone else who could speak truth into him. Every one of us, me included, every one of us has the potential to do the same kind of stupid thing and pay a price where we will never recover. See, God was still leading the children of Israel, but they would never, ever be the same again. There's a difference between forgiveness and consequences. See, forgiveness is open to all of us through Jesus. All of us have access to forgiveness. You can be forgiven of everything that you've done through Jesus, but the consequences may never go away. You may deal with the consequences for the rest of your life. Look at this verse again. It says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And this becomes Solomon's epitaph, and that was never his intention. 
But he just drifted into this. He drifted into this life because of the people he allowed to speak into his life and the people who weren't allowed to speak into his life. And like Solomon, it doesn't just affect us. Your decisions, your isolation doesn't just affect you. Your, pa- your family will pay. Your kids will pay. Your marriage or your future marriage will pay. If no one has access to you, eventually everyone around you will pay. And when we isolate ourselves, we don't get in trouble by ourselves. We drag other people with us. So here's this big idea for today, this transforming idea for today. It's this, is the true, authentic spiritual transformation will never happen outside of the context of community. That if you want transformation in your life, if you want this true, spiritual, authentic transformation, it takes other people who are in your life speaking into your life. God uses people as a tool to bring transformation in our lives. See, God created you for community. It's how God grows you and shapes you. The reason why some of us that we resist relationships, it's just fear. We have all these fears. Maybe it's this fear that you won't belong, that you have this image that everybody else has their life together. Maybe you walked into church for the first time and you thought, well, everyone else, they must have their life all together. And you're like, well, I know that I don't, so maybe I don't fit in. So it's this fear that you told that you had because of this lie that you begin to believe. And so you've just kept other people at a distance because of this fear that you won't belong. Or maybe it's the fear of rejection. That the deepest wounds in our life are caused by rejection. So we spend most of our life trying to earn acceptance. We try to earn acceptance from our parents. We try to earn acceptance from our friends. We try to earn acceptance from complete strangers. We don't even know them. And we do certain things to try to earn acceptance from them. Some of us have the fear of disapproval. We're afraid that somebody is going to disapprove of us. And the way that we deal with that is we begin to point the finger at other people. See, the fear of disapproval will make you defensive. Maybe there's other fears that you have with relationships There's a lot of fears that we bring into that, but there's only one antidote for all of our fears. There's only one antidote for all of our fears in relationships, and it's love. It is love. Look at how the Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4.8. He says, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That we love each other deeply because when you begin to love, it begins to to cover up over all of these mistakes and all of these fears that we have. See, true transformation will never happen outside of the context of community. There was a famous study that was done at Harvard. And and the study where they studies the importance of relationships. And one of the researchers, his name is Robert Putnam, here's what he wrote about their findings. He says, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. That's the power of relationships. Well, because of that, I've been kicking around this new motto motto for our small groups. It's join a group or die. (laughs) I thought it was a pretty good motto. Lauren, our small groups guy, didn't think so much. 
See, God uses other people to bring transformation in you, bring transformation in me. I was in my small group yesterday. I have a transformed small group and these people that I just love, part of my life. And as we begin to share yesterday, people begin to share the deepest wounds of their life and how God began to heal those wounds. See, there's something, happen, there's something that happens when you begin to open up your life to other people like that. Because they can see things in my life that I could never see, positive and negative. They can speak things into my life that I didn't even know were there when we begin to let other people in. So I want you to do some examination of your life. I want to ask you a few questions to see how you're doing in this area. And I want you just to kind of keep track of how many yeses that you have, how many times you can say yes to these questions. Here's question number one. When something goes wrong, do I have at least one friend that I can easily talk with about it? Yes or no? Question number two. I have a friend I can drop in on at any time without calling ahead. How would you answer this? Yes or no? Is there someone who could accurately name my greatest fears and temptations? Have you let somebody in close enough that they know what you're dealing with in your life? Yes or no? Do you have a friend? Do I have a friend that I know well enough to trust their confidentiality? That you can tell them the things that are going on and you know that they're not going to tell all of these other people? Yes or no? Fifth question. If I received good news like a promotion, do I have a friend? I would call immediately just to let them know. This is what the Bible talks about. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Yes or no? See, if you cannot answer yes to those questions, then you have some spiritually defining decisions to make. This right here may be what stands in the way of transformation in your life. It might be this issue right here. Look what the Apostle Paul writes. Paul writes in Romans 12, 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's to love one another. It says when you carry each other's burdens, that's how you love each other. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. He says, when you begin to accept other people the way that, that Jesus has accepted you, when you begin to do that, that's what brings praise to God. Well, see, for some of us, we come with these excuses. For some of you, you're extroverts. For some of you, are introverts. For those of you who are extroverts, I mean, you are a party waiting to happen. You have all kinds of people. You have 500 Facebook friends. I mean, you love being around people. It energizes you. Here's the problem with you. Here's the danger if you're an extrovert. You can have a lot of people around you and no one who's speaking truth into you. For those of you who are introverts, I'm an introvert, that you just recharge by being by yourself. I would never ask you to raise your hand because you wouldn't raise your hand because you're an introvert. You, just, <laughs> you like just pulling away. And that's how you recharge. Here's the danger for you and I. For those of you who are in that same 
same way, is we re-energize by getting alone because people drain us. But what could happen is you can take that time of um, to be re-energized and you can com be completely isolated from people in your life and not let anybody in. In Jesus' life, there was only two times that we know of that he prayed throughout the night. The first time is the night before he chose the 12 disciples. That these relationships were so important. That these people who were going to be in his life were so important. He spent the entire night praying. And it's interesting is that although Jesus had 12 disciples, he had three who were his closest friends. It was Peter, James, and John. The other time that Jesus prayed throughout the night, it's the night before he was crucified. And you know what he did? He took those three closest friends and he brought them with him. He wanted them to be with him as he walked through this dark night of the soul. That here Jesus says, at these moments in his life, the times that he prayed throughout the night, it involved relationships. For Solomon, towards the end of his life, he would write the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is just his journal. He looks on his life and he just shares the mistakes that he's made. He says, don't do what I did. Don't isolate yourself. Don't pull yourself away from people. Because authentic transformation will never happen outside of the context of community. I want you to pull out this handout that we handed you when you came in. You go ahead and get that out. I want you to grab a pen as well. Then on the front of this is the memory verse that's part of our study this week. It's the verse that I read a little bit earlier. That in your study this week, this is the, this is the verse that we want to just put in our, our heart, in our head. Where it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let's say this out loud together because I want this to be in your head and in your heart. Let's say this together. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. On the other side is two questions. Question number one is what relationship do you need to strengthen? Who has God put in your life that you need to connect with? Who do you need to allow to get closer into your life? to trust them and to let them trust you. Who do you need to strengthen a relationship with? I want you to write down their name right now. I'm going to give you just a minute to do that. I want you to write down the name of the person that you need to strengthen a relationship with. You need to allow them in. Here's the second question. What relationship do you need to heal? Maybe you have a damaged relationship. Maybe it's somebody that you, you hurt or somebody that has hurt you. Jesus tells us exactly what to do. If you have hurt somebody, Jesus says you are to go to them and be reconciled with them. And do you want to know what Jesus says when somebody has wronged you? It's the same thing that you go to them and you be reconciled to them. So who is the person in your life that you need to heal a relationship with? I want you to write down their name. It's going to take courage for you. So who is that person? I want you to write it down 
right now. We have a tree out in the lobby. And maybe you saw some of these hanging on the tree. At the end of the service, we want you to go hang your card out there on that tree. It's a way of saying, God, I'm dedicating these relationships to you. I'm letting you have them. Maybe for some of you, you just need to take this home. You need to put it on your mirror. You need to put it somewhere where you can begin to pray about these relationships, pray about these people in your life. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. God, thank you for putting people in our lives to help bring transformation in us. God, thank you for the way that you work in that way. And God, there are some relationships that we need to strengthen. We need to allow them in because we just believe that you use people to help us become more like Jesus. And God, there are some relationships that we are deeply wounded by that we need you to heal. So God, give us the courage to do this. God, we pray right now that you would begin to work in us in a significant way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.